I'm here today to talk about something I've been really interested in for a long time. I was a big fan of Anne Rand as a kid, read her novels, Atlas Shrugged, Fountainhead, and admired her protagonists, uh, rugged individualists. And though the thing that struck me about that was she was so dedicated to being an atheist. This was a godless world. Everything was created by by man, and I just don't believe that. Uh, in particular, I've been spending some time with Dennis Prager's books. Um, he's going to be writing five books on the Torah, and he's started his first two. It's called The Rational Bible, about Genesis and Exodus. And then it gets into the source of, uh, of truth, which is God's truth, and he believes, and I guess I believe, that he did write the, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, but as I point out in the uh, in the show, you know, I'm not a professional intellectual. I'm a I guess what what my guest and Tal and I talk about. I'm more of an intellectual professional, and so I'm 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 on a journey to understand this. And I think I learned a lot today in a conversation that I'm having with Tal. And I hope you'll join me. Uh, welcome to the Bill Walton Show. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome back. I'm Bill Walton, and we're here today to talk about Anne Rand. Most of us have read her novels, uh, particularly Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. Uh, they're terrific reads, but I have been surprised to learn how much her ideas and philosophy has resonated throughout the world in the, in the years, decades, I think 70, 80 years since those novels were first published. Uh, and to learn more about this, I've asked Tal Stefani, who's the president and CEO of Ayn Rand Institute, to come on the show and talk about Ayn Rand's philosophy and why it resonates so much in, in today's world. Tal, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here. Tal, you're in Alpharetta, Georgia, right now as we're doing this via Zoom. Yeah, you can see the woods in the back. That's oh, beautiful. <laughs> can you get a haircut in Georgia now? Yes, you can. Actually, we're leading the way and opening up and uh, you can get a haircut, you can get your nails done. You can choose. Well, I'm, eight, I'm, I'm into my 18th week without a haircut, so I may be, we may do our, do our next <laughs> show down there so I can, uh, I can get a little trimmer. Uh, so you've had an interesting journey to come to the Enran Institute. It's been a, um, I, I knew it when Yaron Brook was firing it up. Uh, I think he started in, in about 15, 20 years ago, and he's now chairman. Right. And you're the co-founder of the Enran Institute in Israel. And right. the journey you've taken from Israel to be president of Anran Institute uh, is an extremely interesting one. You want to talk about that? Yeah, my journey starts uh, as a kid in Israel, in the south part of Israel, in a city called Be'er Sheva. And um, yeah, I was always a very uh, questioning kid. Uh, and, and later on, I... I figured out it was more of a philosophical kid who was asking a lot of philosophical questions. Um, yeah, I, I, I was a, a, you know, uh, a kid, a normal kid up until the age of 13 where my mother decided we need to move to a kibbutz. 
Now, I don't know if you know what a kibbutz is. It means a commune in Hebrew. And uh, Russian immigrants thought that uh, when they migrate to Israel, now they'll, you know, they'll try and establish the, 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 uh, the right communist settlement, right? They, they'll get it right this time. And a kibbutz and, is based uh, on purely, purely communist or purely socialist principles. Yes, and completely they, no private property. Yeah. You're part of a commune. Everybody works, everybody's equal. I actually w had a number uh, when I moved there at the age of nine. Um, I, I was tiled 318 uh, and everything is shared. Even I, as a kid, I was not the property of my parents. I, I grew up in a kid's house. Um, we didn't have any grades because you're not allowed to be better than anyone else. And at the age of 13, I got a present from my family in the city. I got a tape recorder, a stereo, and, um, and I put it in my room and then a committee decided that I cannot keep it in my room because it's not equal. And that if I wanted to keep it, that was the compromise. Uh, I have to let everybody, all my friends play their cassettes on it. And I said, I'm not having any of that. Uh, so I tried to convince my parents to leave. It took me a couple of years, but we left when I was 15, 16. And um, yeah, that was my. Uh, so so, so you, I didn't. Know, I didn't have the. I didn't have the ammunition to explain why this is so wrong. It just so. So, so you were showing early signs of individualism. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So um, from the kibbutz, how long were you on the kibbutz? Uh, from I, I nine till about sixteen. Till about yeah. sixteen, and, and and then you went to uh, a flight academy. Yes, then I went to, to, uh, to the Israeli army. I started in the flight academy, ended up in uh, operations and in intelligence, um, and then did what every good Jewish boy should do, because that's the expectation, <laughs> is to go either be a lawyer or an engineer or something like that. So I became a software engineer. Um, in the process, while I was a student, I started teaching SAT course uh, prep, you know, prep courses. And I was very good at it, and I started climbing up the ranks in that company until when I graduated, the owner offered me the CEO position. So it was a very young CEO, uh, 26, 27, uh, of uh, the largest private education company in Israel. And what was, that, it, what was uh, the name? What was the name of it? It was called Kidum. Like okay, it means Kidum. advancement. And yeah, you were teaching means... Israeli kids to take the SAT. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I did that and I loved it. I love everything about education and it's relevant because later on it explains where I, where, where I landed, but I loved education from, from the, the day I started working, uh, everything around education. I was a, I was a, uh, a, a, you know, substitute teacher in a, in a middle school when I was younger and I loved that as well. Long story short, I did that for several years and then I had an opportunity to go to a, a big software company and that's how I ended up here in Atlanta, Georgia, because I was working uh, as a software um, manager, a VP in a large 22,000 people company who did the projects for AT&T. And AT&T uh, Information Technology Department is right here in Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, I did, if you remember, there was a project um, that I did that everybody knows called Rollover Minutes that AT&T had a while back, if you remember that. Sure. <laughs> so that was you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so part of I've it. I've always wanted to meet uh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you never think about those things when you hear about like, who's behind it. 
Um, anyway, so I did software for many, many years. And then one day, uh, a colleague of mine, we we're having a discussion. And um, then she says, you speak, you're so sure of yourself. You're like an Ayn Rand. And it's like, who's Ayn Rand? It's like, you're kidding me. You haven't read Ayn Rand? And I said, no, he says, you have to. And uh, then I uh, ended up uh, meeting Atlas Shrug or meeting John Galt. And if you'd snuck Ayn Rand onto the kibbutz, you really would have been in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about, about oil, oil and water, right? Uh, <laughs> Although, so you, how old were I, you when you first read Ayn Rand? Uh, 40. 40, nine years okay. Ago. Yeah. So uh, the experience of uh, reading Atlas was a physical reaction uh, because, again, I think something clicked in my head where she, it, it was obvious to me very early in the book that she's trying to tell me something deeper than just the narrative and the plot of what's going on with Dagny and John Galt and Hank Reardon. Um, so I was, I remember I was pacing in the room. I couldn't sit down reading that book because it's like, this is, this is nuclear material. This is something deeper than, than, than the book. And, uh, I had to leave the book about a third way in and say, what is she trying to say? And then I Googled and I figured out she was an originator of a new philosophy called objectivism. And it goes against the mysticism of the religious, you know, uh, doctrines and philosophies and goes against the subjectivism of the left where everything goes and we have a collective mind and, and our feelings should lead the way. She says, this is wrong and this is wrong. We need a scientific approach to philosophy. And that really clicked with me because I, as an engineer, someone who tries to understand the world as it is, that was perfect for me. So, so, so the notion and, is there's uh, her yeah. objectivism. There's an objective reality that that is that right. is unchanging, real, everlasting, versus the the left, which is subjective, relative. Everything is what you what individuals think and feel without a without a. You uh, create reality in your mind in okay. a way. Yes. Yeah. So and uh, uh, yeah, that, that that had a huge impact on me. So where did you go from there, having had your epiphany uh, to end up where you are now, which is a, a pretty great place? I went to the Fountainhead. It's right there. You see, it's a version of the Fountainhead behind me. Uh, and then I, I had uh, Howard Rourke. Okay, that's, a, that's a copy really of the Fountainhead book. Uh, <laughs> in there. Now, who, it's actually who? a lamp. It's a lamp of the Fountainhead with a, a lamp. Fountainhead. Oh, that's yeah. great. So the Fountainhead that was that had uh, Gary Cooper and Dag and uh, Patricia O'Neill. Yes. Great casting. That, 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> the movie from the forties. Yeah. And um, yeah, but the thing about his his character is like an ideal of a person with high self-esteem, you know, super clear about what they want out of life, an uncompromising character. And suddenly I was like, what, you know, it made me introspect about my life. Where am I? What am I doing with my life? You know, the only limited resource of time, where is it going? And I decided that uh, where I am is not where I want to be, but I need to start an introspective process of understanding what my values are. What do I want to do? What does my consciousness uh, find interesting and attractive in this world? And I started a very deep almost like a self-analysis process. And because I'm a man of action, I just started moving forward. One, the, the first thing I did is decided to leave my job and join my brother-in-law in a startup company uh, that he started a uh, software company. So uh, I moved, I started working in Chicago 
And uh, that was great because it felt like I'm doing something of my own, something that I believe in. But that was started the journey. And then we moved the company from Chicago to the Silicon Valley and it was a great success. We sold, the, the company was sold last year. Uh, great, you know, it, it grew to over 200 people and it was a great success. But in that process, what really mattered is that I continuously evolved in understanding that what life is about, it's about seeking values. It's the pursuit of happiness, as Jefferson put it. And happiness is, and this is a, an Ayn Rand definition, is that state of consciousness which proceeds from the achievement of one's values. So the process that I started working with is what are my values, and that's the hardest part, by the way, figuring out what your values are, and then going and seeking them and being serious about it. And then developing the character and the self-esteem and the pride that comes with the fact that you know that you're working in a, in a very ethical way, according to the objectivist ethics of have, having purpose and independence and so on and so forth. And Where, where's maybe God, later on where, I'll tell you how I ended up with Where's God in this? Where is God in this? Um, me and God had an interesting relationship uh, in the beginning of my, my life and because I need to understand where things are. Uh, my grandmother at the age of six had asked me to put the yarmulke on and I remember I asked her, why should I put the yarmulke? And she said, because God is looking at you from, from above and we, you need to respect him. And I said, great, but where is he? Um, and then I remember I went to my uncle's room in her house and I closed the door and I said, God, you, you have a minute to show up. And if you show up, I'll believe in you and I'll pray for you every day because I was a serious kid. Uh, but he chose not to show up. And uh, then I went back and I gave her back the yarmulke and I said, I need proof. And that's going back to me being very philosophical. What I learned later on is that we all have to have a philosophy of life. We're not like animals. We're not coming to this world programmed with what we should do. And because of that, it creates a void that you have to fill with some code of guidance of how to pursue your life. And that is really complicated. Nobody teaches us how to do it. Now, when you look at the world, you don't see the good. It's called what should, what do, do I, I mean, you know, it's called the is-ought gap in technical terms in, in philosophy. The, the gap between the is, what you see, and the ought. It's not there. Uh, so Ayn Rand calls religions uh, primitive philosophies. She said we had to have them uh, people came up with them because it's a necessity. You have to have a philosophy. But as with science, you progress over time and you learn more about the world. And what she said is that from a metaphysical perspective, if you define the good as whatever promotes human life, your life, and replace the good as a given with the standard of life, suddenly there's no real need for God because um, you can close the is-ought gap. You can derive from the standard of value of life, the ought, the fact that you have to have an independent mind. It's wrong to kill people. I just, I remember seeing a Prager University video that says, uh, if God doesn't exist, then murder is good. Well, well, and Ayn Rand says, no, that, she challenges that. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, there's, so many of, there's, there's so many of her ethics that I do agree with and so much of their worldview and the individualism that, that I'm aligned with. You mentioned De Dennis Prager. I'm in the midst of uh, reading the first two books he's written on what he calls the rational Bible, Exodus and, 
writes about mm -hmm. Genesis as well. And I'm, you know, I'm a believer, I, and I think most of the, I, I think our values don't exist. I don't think we create these. They do have an objective reality, but I'd say that objective reality come, comes from God. And this is where you and I. Well, that's a meta. Continue. I'm, 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 this is a conversation, yeah, not, a, not an oration. And the, I, I might add, you and I talked about this before. I'm not a professional intellectual. We, 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 we joked earlier, I'm more of a, what you'd call a, an intellectual professional, and then I'm a CEO. So I don't bring, a, a, I don't bring a, a library to this discussion. It's more just my instincts about what, what's real and what isn't. So anyway, continue. Sorry and to interrupt. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm not a professional, intellect, uh, a professional intellectual myself. Uh, I consider myself more of an intellectual professional that is now dealing with intellectual uh, topics. Look, uh, Ayn Rand, for me, did one major thing, which is she organized the world. And she says philosophy is the most uh, profound thing or the mother of all sciences in the sense that it defines the, the relationship between man and reality. And she says the first layer is metaphysics, which you know, answers the questions, where are we? What is this thing? Is it real? And then she says the second layer uh, is, is epistemology, which is how do I know reality? It's introducing human consciousness and tries to see the relationship between reality and human consciousness. And I, for me, that is the critical aspect of, of understanding life. And then once you know reality and man, you can derive morality. And then from there on, you can ask the question, how do, should we live in a society which is politics? And there's a fifth branch to philosophy called aesthetics, which is why this sculpture is here. So what is the meaning of art and why art is like a food for the soul of a conceptual being? Um, what, what we discussed a minute ago is the, a metaphysical question of where are we? Is this thing real? Are there other dimensions? Are there entities in other dimensions? And, and actually it relates to an epistemological question of how do we know and how do we determine what's true and what's not? It's very deep and I, I, it took me years to understand this so I don't expect people in a 30 minute conversation to understand yeah, that. This, but, uh, <laughs> let, me, let, me, uh, let me back up a little bit towards how many, how many people are involved with the Ayn Rand Institute? It's, it's based in California uh, you're now Ferretta. We're all working virtually. That that makes sense. How how big is the institute, uh, and what what is its uh, mission? So we're about 35 people in the institute now. Uh, it's pretty sizable organization, very active. Uh, the mission and the charter of the institute is to protect the legacy of Ayn Rand. Uh, we have the Ayn Rand archives, the Ayn Rand papers. If you come to our lobby, you'll see the 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 desk on which he wrote all of her novels. It's really uh, something. And um, on top of that, we're an educational institution. We're spreading uh, her you know, philosophy of objectivism. That's what we do. So we have all the way from five minute videos of who was Ayn Rand to three year program called the Objectivist Academic Center, where we teach new philosophers uh, and intellectuals uh, about the deep philosophy of Ayn Rand. And what people don't appreciate about her is that she created a whole system and there are very few, a handful of people in the history of human, the human race that created a full philosophy, start to finish. And she's based everything on Aristotle. So uh, she gives Aristotle the credits would you, and then in a way- she, yeah. would, would objectivism be a religion? No, it's never a religion because 
religion is based on faith and she rejects faith. She says yeah. she's an advocate of reason. She sees the world divided into two, the Plato, uh, Plato you know, uh, 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 kind of view of the world, which is more mystic, and the Aristotle, you know, Aristotle view of the world. So Plato with his hand up, right? And yeah. Aristotle with his hand down. Um, and reason is, uh, is almost a negation of faith. It, it means that you have to explain to me and prove to me with logical terms, what you claim is true. And if you go outside of that realm, then you're in faith land. Uh, and um, she, her, her most, uh, the basic virtue in objectivism is, is rationality. But the objective, depending on, depending on how you look at it, I'm, I'm a contrarian. We've got an establishment clause in the US Constitution, which talks about the establishment of a religion. I have come to believe that, that in a way what we've got is an establishment of, liber of uh, religion and it's, it's secular humanism or it's environmentalism or it's whatever ism that mm -hmm. uh, people are pushing. And, you know, for example, the environmental movement seems to be, uh, in most cases, an article of faith rather than, as they would say, science. It's not science, at least as I understand right. science. Instead, it's, it's, it's faith-based. So how do, we, how do we wander into this world of Ayn Rand, wherever the objective reality versus faith, and yet we've got these human institutions on the left that seem to be uh, very much like religions? That's what she says. And the, 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 the problem with Ayn Rand is that everybody loves to hate her. She's, she's hated, of course, on the left because she attacks them at the core. Yeah. Um, and she's not really loved at the right as well, although a lot of people get inspired by her because she attacks the faith-based metaphysics of the, of, the, of the right. So in my mind, she's out of that dimension of right and left. It's really hard to get her. It's, for me, it's almost like, um, you know, Newton created a world of physics. And then Einstein came and said, or oh, you're all looking at, at it from a completely different, a wrong angle and created a whole new way of looking at physics and general relativity in a way yeah, built, built on Newton. So she's, if you take her politics, for instance, she's not on the right, she's not on the left. She says, everybody's wrong. She, the, <laughs> the, closest thing can, the closest thing you can get is the founding fathers. They were really political scientists who yeah. understand that individual, the individual, is the only unit of the human uh, society because we're all so different from each other because we have this machine here, the conceptual ability that makes us as different as, from ants as possible. So once you try to get us together and mesh, to, uh, that's when we break. And uh, she says that the founding fathers got it right. This is why she calls America the most moral, benevolent society ever existed. Well, and she shows that, she proves that. Well, I would happen to agree the Founding Fathers did create the most moral society on the planet, and we've, we've got to work pretty hard to keep that. So we're, we're very much aligned there. Uh, but if they're not, I guess if, you're, if it's not a religion, you do have followers or devotees to, to her philosophy. How many million of millions of people around the world would, would, share, your, uh, would share your views? It's hard, to, it's hard to say, you know, it's, it's a group of individualists. It's hard to put them together. <laughs> right. uh, it's funny that most of my donors- You can't donors, get them all in one uh, room. 
<laughs> exactly. No, we do. We do have. We do have some. You know, I think we're we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that are really yeah. in agreement and and dove into her nonfiction. And uh, but most of our donors, for instance, are just individuals living their life, and they're not in, really interested in, in you know changing the world. They're like a Howard Rourke. You know, they're they're living their life the best they can. And um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't, uh, it's, it's a movement. It is a movement. We, we, we do want to change the world for the better. We do want to promote objectivism and reason and, and individualism and capitalism. Laissez-faire capital, capitalism, by the way, this is what she advocated. Well, she became very controversial with the publication of virtue, The Virtues of Selfishness, where she goes right at uh, Christianity. Um, where, where are you, what, what uh, how, explain what she was driving at there. I, I, I think I've got yeah. it, but I'd rather I, hear you say it. I don't know that she's, I don't know that she's going against Christianity. She, she, she goes to define uh, or trying to take back the meaning of the world selfish. By that she means she, she calls it a package deal. When I give you a package deal, there's like good and bad in it. So she takes the word selfishness, she opens it up and she says, what's inside? One is regard for self, care for self, promote your life, which everybody's good. You know, you promote your life. You woke up this morning uh, and you did whatever you needed to do to take care of yourself and promote your values. That's rational. Let's call it rational self-interest. Mm. But together with it, they packed together this uh, backstabbing, you know, no, not caring for other people mentality. And they, if you package two things together in one uh, concept, then the mind cannot separate them. So she's saying, let's understand that and go back, going back to America, America was founded on the concept that you have the right for your own life and your own happiness. And that's very egoistic, but it doesn't mean anything about your relationship with other people. On the contrary, the reason why America became the most benevolent, benevolent charitable uh, society is just because of that that if you follow reason, then your relationship with other people becomes, you know, a traitor principle, what she calls it. Well, and that's so and the, tra the, yeah. the traitor principle, though, I, I'm thinking of Adam Smith, and I'm thinking it's not from the virtues or can't remember the exact yeah. word of the baker or the shoemaker that the market works, but it's from them pursuing their own self-interest as they define it. And because of all that, because of that, you end up with voluntary exchange and voluntary exchange, the basis of a market economy which creates the most wealth and freedom of, uh, of any form of economic organization. And it's not only an economic order, but it's a moral order. So exactly. there's a lot of alignment. Just she's taken God out of the, uh, God out of the formula, and, uh, whereas Adam Smith didn't. And I guess it, it, but for purposes of our conversation, it seems to me that the principles of the free market, the, uh, uh, entrepreneurship, all the sort of things that us, those of us who think of ourselves as libertarians uh, care about would align with what Ayn Rand is uh, about. Yeah. Well, she, I would say she goes after the concept of altruism. Yeah. By that, she means that the good is outside of you, that it's moral and good to do good for others at the expense of you, of sacrificing your values for somebody else's values and she, she says not that it's not just not noble, it's evil. 
And if you try to understand what she's saying, this is why she, she called the book The Virtue of Selfishness. Mm -hmm. She's trying to say something very, very deep. There is a confusion about altruism and egoism. If you look at it from a perspective of your, the moral obligation that you have as a human being is one, to be rational and to serve your hierarchy of values and trade with other people as a rational being. You, well, if you yeah. sacrifice, well, yeah, if you I, sacrifice, I, if I give you, if, if you give me a hundred buck, bucks and, and I give you buck, back $5, you have sacrificed the value for a lesser value. That's for her immoral. Uh, now she, and people confuse that with charity. If I have a dollar in my pocket and I see a, a beggar on the street and the, the, the fact that I want them to have a meal or something is more valuable to me than the dollar, that it's the rational egoistic thing to give them the dollar. She says nothing about against charity and people confuse that about her. It's just a different moral perspective. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I don't know the evil's the right word, but a lot of damage done by, in the world by people who think they're doing something for other people by helping them reorganize their lives in the, in the view that the, that the person who's doing good uh, uh, thinks, is, uh, thinks is the right outcome. And I think we see that in the left. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd argue our medical professionals in the middle of this pandemic, particularly maybe Dr. Fauci, whatever, is thinking he's doing good for all of us based on his ideas, but we'd actually like to self-organize and take care of it ourselves. That's, that's the essence of individualism. You can tell me what my happiness is comprised of, and it's my, the pursuit of my own happiness. And this is why, um, you know, the left is wrong in many, many different ways. And I think the left is very, very destructive because it's trying to equate individuals into, uh, you know, to, to be, to be yeah. the same, or somebody knows for me what my, my happiness should look like. And uh, uh, that's, that's, you know, uh, so Ayn Rand is very black and white. She calls things evil. She is very. Uh, oh, I, 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 like I, a, I think evil exists is real. There are we we yeah. can't shut we can't not look at that. It's real. Uh, boy, this is something that's going to require a lot more than thirty minutes. <laughs> uh, when you and I first yes. met about a week ago, it was just obvious that there were so many interesting things to dig into. And I, uh, it, it, it's, it, we can't even get into most of what I wanted to talk to today, so we'll have to have you back. I understand John Allison, uh, who was the very, very successful uh, president or CEO of BB&T, is on your board. Yes, he was a dear friend. He's really a mentor to me. And uh, yeah, he's he's uh, well, maybe maybe he's when great we help. maybe when we get back uh, in out of the pandemic lockdown world, we can get you in here to the studio with John, and we can talk about how his ideas played out in uh, in running BB and T. I think that'd be an interesting conversation. Uh, it is. We've got a we got a we got a we got a couple couple minute couple seconds here. Could you sort of tell us where to find uh, the Enran Institute and how we can. Uh, follow up and what you'd like our line of action to be uh, as a consequence of this 30 minutes we spent together? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing I always say to people is like, how can I learn more? Is just read her books. Read The Fountainhead, read The Atlas Shrugged. If it resonates with you, the, the characters and something about their sense of life, then you can move on to her nonfiction. And if you want to learn more about nonfiction, 
We have a world of resources all the way from our website, aynrand.org, and we came up with a new uh, mobile app that has all of her talks. She gave um, uh, talks from 1962 all the way to 1981, 19 talks in a row in, for the Ford, Ford Hall Forum. So uh, and those are amazing. They're all in that app. So these are, an, these are in AI, a, ARI.org. Uh, so it's einrand.org okay. and the app if you look for the app if you want to listen it's called einrand university okay well i i will uh, hope everybody takes an takes an opportunity to take a look at that and tal thanks for being here and i i hope we'll have you back uh to to dig into this further uh and and thank you for joining me today on the bill walton show we've been talking with tal tal savani who's the ceo of the enran institute about her many very interesting ideas uh, you can learn more about this on his page on our website, the Interesting People section, uh, where he'll, he'll be uh, featured there. And then also, I'd like you, if you're interested, to subscribe to this, and you can learn more about our other shows on the website. And, uh, of course, you can always subscribe to us on all the major podcast platforms and YouTube. Uh, also on the website, you can now give us feedback about the shows and maybe, as importantly, give us some ideas, give me some ideas about guests and and ideas you'd like to see us get into in the future. So anyway, thanks for joining, and uh, I'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes.